Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Today I'm focusing on God's presence again, but as it leads us into the outcome of God's presence, which is impact, which is leadership uh, in some capacity. And so today, actually, we're going to be talking about our unique role in it. We're going to be talking about our strengths and weaknesses. We're going to be talking about limitation, which is not an exciting prospect for me as a person, but it's a very biblical one. Uh, And so we're going to explore those things. We're going to be in Romans 12, 1 through 11. Uh, 1 and 2 is not going to be the driving force of it. Uh, It's just important as a building block, but we're going to really be focusing on 3 and beyond. And by the way, I'm sorry it's hot. That's my fault. There was a technology issue this week, and I kind of messed up, and so it's hot. But that's not going to happen again. So uh, sorry it's hot, guys. If you want to fan the person next to you, I'm sure they'd appreciate it. You know what I mean? Uh, If you want to follow the technique, Vincent's technique is flawless, man. (laughs) Flawless technique. (laughs) Love you guys. Sorry about that. Romans 12, 1 through 11 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 1, we're just going to breeze through 1 and 2 because verse 1 clearly communicates this Christian walk is not about getting a skill set or a knowledge set, but that living with God is a life thing, the fullness of your life. Uh, We don't sacrifice anymore uh, things like, you know, goats and lamb and stuff. But what we do see is that symbolism of the altar is very much vibrant for our personal lives. Meaning that every single day when you pick up your cross and follow Jesus, this is caught up in recognizing the symbolism of a life laid on the altar, given to God every single day. And so we are living sacrifices. That symbolism is potent to helping us understand the totality of this thing. You know, it's all of your life, not just some of your life, not just some of your character or skill sets or emotions, but it's a life fully given to God. All of it, living sacrifices. So verse one sets it up clearly as this is about a whole life, not a part life. And verse two starts to give us a clarity of what this process looks like of realizing a full life given to God. And it's do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so it tells you the process of what it looks like to realize the full living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world. Decline the conformity that is very, very enticing and natural to the things of this world. There has to be an intentionality. If you want to live your life as a living sacrifice, there's got to be an intentionality to recognizing the powers of conformity that press upon you every single day in this world. Don't be conformed to them, but be transformed. So this journey of realizing a full life living sacrifice is one that is realized through transformation. Small last note on this is that it proves what is the perfect and acceptable will of God. 
Many people make the mistake of trying to be transformed by knowing what God's will is and then doing it. But Romans 12, 2 clearly reveals to us that we are transformed by God and then we realize what God's will is. It's the transformed mind that can perceive God's will, not the untransformed mind. Woo! <laughs> Romans 1, 12, 1 and 2, crushed, done, living sacrifice, transformed, perceiving God's will beautifully, and then it leads us into the next place. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Okay, this might not seem like there's a lot to unpack here, but I can guarantee you there's a lot to unpack here. The first thing is don't be drunk on your evaluation of yourself. Don't be without a sober mind and judgment to accurately identify where you're at. See it clearly. See it clearly. I've never drank in my life. I've made other mistakes. But I remember in high school, I used to have friends, and they all drank. And they all got drunk a whole lot. And their sense of what they were capable of when they were drunk were completely false. Completely false. Uh, and so it's this idea that you can have this place of complete inaccuracy of where you're at. You're like, I can do that. And it's like, well, actually, no, you can't fly. Uh, so don't try and jump off that cliff, you know? It's a bad idea. And to move somebody from a place of drunkenness in their self-evaluation to a sober judgment and evaluation of where you're at. This is critical not only to your own journey and safety, but to others as well. To the person that's high on what he's got and they're just super high on what they can do and they're like, I'm amazing. This person can make the error, the conceited error of stepping into places of influence when they are not mature to do them well. This is where you get really talented leaders that do a whole lot of damage because they're not sober in their judgment of where they're at in their character journey. Soberness in the evaluation is huge. It is not not spiritual to recognize where you are limited right now in your maturity. We are all in a growth pattern with the Lord. So if you're on milk right now and you're not on the deep, uh, thicker meat things of God, then recognize that. Go like, I'm in a place of infancy in my maturity with the Lord. But you know what? This isn't demeaning and condescending to me at all. I'm excited about where God's got me and I'm excited about where he's bringing me. So when we get this idea that we should be somewhere further than we're at, these aren't ideas that God gives us. These are ideas of arrogance, of pride, of self-reliance that say, man, I should be better than this. I should be further than this. No, you shouldn't because you're not. <laughs> so you're not. And then just accepting the reality of where you're at is critical to God being able to do a thing in your life. So if you are the lame man that can't walk spiritually, recognize it. Don't be like, look, I'm a free man that can walk and run and I'm incredibly powerful. If you are spiritually lame, recognize that. Have that sober judgment and be like, man, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't even know where I'm going. Okay, God, show me the way. How excellent it is to perceive that you're blind if you're blind. How excellent it is to perceive that you're deaf if you're deaf. These are powerful recognitions. These are not demeaning and disqualifying ones. And shame will teach you to lie to yourself and be like, don't see yourself accurately. 
No, 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 no. You are powerful. You are a revivalist and all this kind of stuff. But if you're not and you're just a broken person that doesn't know left to right in terms of spiritual wisdom, recognize it. See it. It's not spiritual to lie to yourself. God's amazing. You're in a process. And so am I. This has been, I've been studying limitation stuff for a bit, and I have a reference here. If you've never read the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, it says Elisa Dittmar up here because this is hers, but I've had it longer than she's had it. (laughs) I'll give it back at some point. And it talks about the blessing of recognizing your limitations, which is going to get us into what we're talking about here because each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So I glossed over this a lot in my journey with the Lord because I had this idea in my brain that I was gonna do everything and I was gonna be everything. And if there was a problem, I was gonna be the solution to it. If there was a vacancy, I was gonna fill it. And this is kind of how I grew up, learning to lead I grew up as a pastor's kid, so you grow up in this environment where there's all kinds of things to figure out, and then you're taught and trained to be the answer to whatever the problem is. And on the surface value of this, it sounds great, but all of a sudden, you get all ramped up because you're trying to be the answer to everything. Long story short, on my journey is you start realizing you're trying to be people's saviors, you're trying to be their healers, you're trying to be their providers, you're trying to take up all these God roles in people's lives, And then you get really, really sad because you recognize that you're deeply failing at what is supposed to be God's role. So when when you go along this journey and you recognize that he's given to each a measure of faith that God has assigned, I always saw it in an exciting way. Like, yes, he's given me a lot of faith. He's given me a lot of grace and a lot of gifts. And so I looked at the strengths assignment and I was stoked. And I just kind of pushed to the side the limitation assignment he also gave to me. And the limitation assignment is if he's made me to be these things in strength and power and giftedness, also, I have not been given these things in strength and power and giftedness. And that is stupid. That is the worst recognition ever. But it's so healthy and so important that God has given you a measure a measure of faith, and he's assigned it to you. He didn't make a mistake. So what you have in giftedness, amazing. Jesus went into heaven, and he, and he gave gifts to men. This is a blessing, but also he didn't give you some gifts. So you are with your limits. You have limitations, and functionally as a community, It's important that we recognize not only our gifts and our strengths, but also our weaknesses or our limitations. And the next part of this is in verse four, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. The the quickest way to dysfunction is, is for us not to recognize our part. This is one of the quickest ways for a community to be dysfunctional. And, and you, you and I, we each have a part to play, and it's just a part. 
Recognizing what that part is, discovering what that part is, is powerful, it's beautiful. But today I'm not talking about discovering your design and purpose as much as I am talking about how if you and I don't discover our design and purpose, our part, and we try and do all of the parts, then we're actually making the whole body more dysfunctional than we are making it functional. But in our desperation to fulfill this Paul thing, be all things to all people, and I actually have this scripture pulled up for us because we have these two contradicting ideas in our brain, right? Which is this idea that Paul says, be all things to all people, baby, come on now. And we have this idea pressing upon our brains. And this used to be caught up in my imagination that I'm gonna be all things to all people. Uh, and then I added all of the time, right? Be all things to all people all of the time. And it, but if you read in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27, we're not gonna read it all, right? But it says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. This is a gospel narrative. This is not a leadership community structure narrative. This is an approach to partner with where someone's at so they can meet Jesus. But when we're talking about leadership in a community, it goes beyond just the simple of idea that, okay, I can be all things to all people, so I'm gonna be in this community the evangelist, I'm gonna be the pastor, I'm gonna be the prophet, I'm gonna be the teacher, I'm gonna be the, and you go along this path and all of a sudden you realize you're trying to hold up all of these spinning plates and do everything and be all things to all people all of the time. And you realize in this journey, you've actually neglected to recognize something really functional about God's body. That he's, he's assigned to different people different roles. This breeds functionality. You know, that one person doing everything, it breeds burnout. It breeds disdain. It breeds idolatry. This is the part that a lot of people don't see. It breeds idolatry because when one person is fulfilling all of the roles, that's the body of Christ. So when one person's trying to do the full body of Christ's work, he's trying to represent Christ by himself. He's trying to be Christ without anybody else. This is not how we were designed. This is not how we were, we were created for a purpose to fill a part, to be a part. And this a part thing is so humbling, but so functional. It's so humbling and so functional We've got to recognize that we are actually designed for a specific function. And the body is the healthiest when we fulfill that function. This kind of steps against the grain of church culture a bit. You know, in ministry, there's this reputation that, you know, you got to do everything because there's a lack of leaders and volunteers, et cetera, et cetera, a lack of money. And just the church kind of gets this poverty mentality thing all the time where it's just like, we're always poor, we're always lacking, we're always in need, we never have enough, and all these things, right? And, and so we get this mindset of striving at times, just like, I gotta do all of it, man. I gotta be the pastor, 
and then I gotta leave the outreach, and then I gotta, I gotta pray for people at the altar, and then pray for people in our upper room upstairs, and then I gotta go into kids, and I gotta be in the kids, and then I gotta run sound from my iPad, you know, and just like, all of a sudden, you're like, and you're just trying to be a good soldier of God, right? You're just trying to be a good Christian and just do everything, man. And you're bleeding at the fingertips, and you're wondering why nobody else is helping. But here's the challenge, is a lot of times people aren't helping because you're filling all of the gaps. This is dysfunctional. This is dysfunctional. It's not only seen in church culture, it's seen beyond that as well. I'm sure in your organizations, you see in that group project, that one person that does nothing, right? We see it. We see it. It's not just in church culture, man. This dysfunction is a humanity dysfunction that God is actually trying to speak wisdom to as it comes to this community, as it comes to how we actually go from a place of presence to realizing a role and realizing a part. This is a much fuller recognition of a presence-driven church. It's not only one that worships together and feels God, but it's one that worships together, feels God, encounters God, and then is mobilized by God in a part. You might not know what your part is yet. Go on that discovery journey. It's such an exciting thing when you start doing something and you realize how much you hate it. And you realize like, oh, I'm not supposed to be an administrator. Like, I can administrate. I give this example all the time. I can administrate really, really good for, like, two minutes. Two minutes, I'm the best administrator you've ever seen, man. I'm so good. And then after that, I hate it. I hate myself. And I hate whoever's asking me to administrate. Because I'm not designed to carry that role in community. But somebody else, and I can name all the people in here that have that gift, they're still like an alien to me. I don't get it. But it doesn't deplete them. It doesn't destroy their soul to do it. So I'm like, God bless you and your entire family. You're a gift to God and a gift to this community. You're so lovely and amazing. You always have a place here. <laughs> Verse five says, I, he starts to get really into this thing. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one of another, this is so cool because, look, I, I started to, what really immediately encountered me in this reading of this scripture was how much we don't like spending time in the same room with some different people. And this is not only saying, like, hey, you're of the same room together. You, like, share a room together. No, it's saying you're of one body. Can you imagine that level of intimacy? One body? I know some gerbophones in my life that hate the idea of sharing the same body with me because I, uh, <laughs> I am not a germaphobe by any means. I'm the opposite end of the spectrum, you know what I mean? I'm like, germs, let's go, let's eat it, this is great. It helps the immune system, guys. And so this idea of being a part of a body with someone else that you're like, I don't even like them. I don't even want to spend time with them, let alone be of the same skin with them. Like, really think about this. Let this idea of the one body actually provoke you to a place of going, I actually have to learn to love some people if I'm going to share the same skin with them. If I'm going to share the same joined up body with them, I've got to actually start to maybe even embrace their quirkiness, embrace how weird they are, 
Like, have you met somebody that's a Christian and you're like, that's one of the weirdest people I've ever met? I don't want to spend time with them. They're really weird. See, we're not talking about a difference of morality or of character. When it comes to the holiness of God, there is one thing, right? There is no shade of it. There is no turning difference about it. God is holy. We're called to be holy. Boom, there's the end of that sentence. So this isn't about having some kind of different holiness perspective or some kind of different character perspective, right? This is talking about being of different personality types, being of different humor bases, being of different uh, histories of where you come from, eating different things, talking in different ways. We're not talking about sin or not sin. We're talking about unique personality things, unique gifted things. And we're talking about learning to love those people such that you're actually comfortable being in the same body with them, moving in the same direction with them, having the same blood flow through you and them all together at once. Wow, that's a fun thing, huh? How fun is that level of intimacy? Does that excite you guys? It excites me. When I got married to Jess, you know what I was excited about besides the obvious things? I was excited about doing the little things together, you know? I was excited about all of the little things, you know? Bad breath in the morning. I was like, wow, I want to lean into that. That's so fun. Like, we're married, you know? I seriously, I thought this was like some of the coolest stuff, right? You know, I'm like, wow, that's so fun. Like, we're not only going to get to be together when we're all dolled up and ready on a date, but also I roll over, you're there. You know what I mean? And that's so fun, you know? Like, you cuddle me at night, and I'm sweating. That's cool, man. That's a part of marriage, you know? Like, uh, honestly, realizing the limitation and the, the real discomfort of marriage was one of the most exciting things to me. Because there is things that become limiters on my life as a married man or as a father. Like, if it were up to me, I would climb, like, nine times a week outdoors, you know what I mean? Six hours each time. That's a lot of hours of climbing. But it turns out with four kids, you can't do that. How stupid is that? You know what I mean? And it turns out as a married man also, I can't do that. And that is a limit on what I, in my selfishness, would want to do. But embracing these limits is powerful. It's powerful because it invites you out of yourself into a more connected place with people. Because community is one of the best agents of challenging your selfishness and my selfishness. It's so powerful, it like provokes us in a way that's like, I actually am good by myself, thank you very much. Don't talk to me, don't look at me, don't call me, don't text me. Don't invite me to your stupid home group or to some kind of social you have going on that eating breakfast and all these Christian things. And so all of a sudden we start to get this independent Christian idea that I am good on my own, thank you very much. I've spent time with you Christians. You're no better than the world. Ah. Well, duh. We're human freaking beings, imperfect, limited in our capacity right now. Sometimes we're deeply immature and broken. Sometimes we're carrying bondage and hurts and wounds that makes us hack community all up. People, broken, 
needing healing. This is like a hospital. This isn't some kind of perfection chamber where you walk in and go, everybody better be perfect here. I'm going to be upset. It is so hot in here when I'm preaching. What did I, what have I done? Verse six, totally my fault. Verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use the gifts that are different amongst each of us. Let's move away this idea that to be a part of ministry means you do everything. And let's move into a world where God's actually really good at building his house. He's really good at building his church. And so he's got assignments and he's got design. Just fill those. If you're not an administrator, don't fill the administrator role. Let the person that God's designed for it fill that. If you're not an evangelist, don't try and fill that role. Let the person he's designed for that fill that. But there's a different role that he's given for you. There's a different assignment. Discover what that is and then courageously walk in it. Use them. Don't hide your talents. Don't bury them in the ground. This is provoking that. Hey, you got different gifts. Use them. Use them. Beautiful thing I got taught to me early on in my walk as a Christian, as a leader, is, is your gifts are not for you, they're for others. Your gifts, you've been given them for community. Allow them to be an asset to community. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is a, it's a simple narrative today, and I, and I know maybe it even feels a, a, a little bit rudimentary or basic or elementary, this idea like, oh, yeah, I know that, Pastor. There's different parts and there's gifts, and we all have a different part. But this is an invitation to move away from trying to function in the things that we're not supposed to function in and to step into the things powerfully that we are designed to step into. So I would, I would give a, a message of provoking to the person that is not stepping into their gifts in some capacity. Allow the Lord to mobilize you. Allow the Lord to move you into those places. I can't guarantee people are gonna be cool. I can't guarantee that it's gonna be a soft landing. I can't even guarantee that you're all that good at it right away. But I can tell you that this is God's design for us to recognize how he's built us and then to fill that space in harmony with the other parts. It's beautiful. If you've got a savior complex, if you've got a selfish complex, it's all about you and you wanna fill every space and get credit for everything, I would invite you to yield that to the Lord. We're not supposed to be people's saviors. We're not supposed to be people's providers. And when you trust God with this house, when you trust God with your family, when you trust God with the parts and the leadership, every part of it, he is such a good builder. And you get to occupy the appropriate space, which is you're just doing a part. You're not doing all of it. You're just doing a part. Can I pray for you? So good. Can you guys stand with me? We're going to finish this time. I highly recommend this book. It's, it's really good. Um, if you guys want, Elisa's got some copies for you.
That's so fun, so good. It's, it's going to be pretty simple today as far as the partnership and prayer. <clears throat> God is really good. God is really faithful. And I got to be honest with you, man, I trust him with this house. I trust him with the leaders in each place. You know, some people think like as a pastor to preach this kind of gives your volunteers permission to stop doing things, you know, because they're not gifted or designed for it. And so it can feel like a dangerous message or, or sermon for a pastor to preach when it comes to the volunteer base. And I get that, but, but in all honesty, I've had enough time in this thing to recognize that God does a really great job of building his house. We trust him with all of it. So we trust him with our worship team, our band, our leaders, we trust him with the music. We trust him with the sound, with the media. We trust him with our children's workers. We trust him with the teaching and the preaching. We trust him with the cleaning. We trust him with the facilities and the maintenance. It's, it's, you know, we trust him and we even almost dangerously trust God. And if God doesn't build his house, then we're okay to fail in that, right? We know he does and we know there's that promise that God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we trust him with that. So we're with God no matter what the outcome is. So I wanna pray that over this house, over this church. You know, Tim and Pam, they're not here right now. I think Tim went to do something, but they have this vision of a, a place of, of healing and retreat called Casa de Paz, which is house of peace. And I prayed over this, the, the church in the first service that we would be a house of peace. And that we would be at peace with all of the things, at peace with worship, at peace with preaching and sermons, at peace with outreach, at peace with these things. Not in a place of striving, not in a place of taking on a responsibility for outcome that we're not supposed to carry. He is God. He's gonna build this thing. So I'm gonna pray that over this house, but I also want us to pray it over our families, over our kids, over our, our marital roles, husbands and wives and sons and daughters, grandmas and grandpas. God, I pray that you would just establish this house. We commit this house even as a house of peace, as your house, God. We pray that you would establish peace in this place, that it would reign and that it would rule in this place, God, and that it would expel and it would drive out all of our insecurities and fears when it comes to this work, God. I pray that you would uh, cloak us uh, in humility, God, that you would clothe us in humility, that we would embrace our gifts and we would embrace our limitations and that Christ would be made perfect in our weaknesses. We embrace that, God. We sit in that place of weakness with you and we ask that you would be perfected there. That's really important. I think that for some of us in our role in our houses, even as husbands and uh, wives and fathers and mothers, there's this sense of inadequacy. And so I just want you to invite Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit into that place of insecurity when it comes to your fathering and your mothering, your husbanding and your, your wifing. <laughs> Holy Spirit, I invite you into that place of insecurity as a husband and as a father. I pray that you would rest in that place with me, that you would be made perfect in that place. I recognize my limitations and shortcomings. 
as disappointing as it is to me, God, I choose you in those places. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.